welcome to the Bump Room Podcast. I'm your host, Ailish Cleary, and my mission is to bring connection and understanding to the profound and powerful changes becoming a mother brings. I aim to achieve this through insightful conversations with people I find inspiring and empowering in the space of motherhood support. I'm super excited, super excited to be talking to Jacqueline Kelly. And Jacqueline um, runs Our Brave Hearts, and she runs um, coaching groups for mothers. And I love Jacqueline's content on her Instagram, and we've connected a little bit. And I just would love to unpack her brain a little bit more. So, Jacqueline, thank you so much uh, for being here, and you know, just for being so generous with your time. So I know I asked you a few questions just to prepare around this, but I wanted to know actually, how did you end up working in this space? How did you end up working with mothers? Uh, perfect. Thanks, Elish. Delighted to be here with you. Uh, so the reason, my it's really my own experience of motherhood that has led me to where I am today, which is a life coach who specializes in working with mothers who feel like they've lost themselves in motherhood, because that was me. I was that woman who, when she became a mother, I felt so consumed by the whole experience of motherhood that I really felt like I had lost my identity. And at that time, I didn't realize that actually that's common. The language that I use now to talk about it is not the language that I would have used back then. But when I had my first child in 2013, um, I just, the birth didn't go as planned as planned as it can be. Um, but my experience, my entry into motherhood was very, it was very shocking, um, the birth and the trauma. And I think that that had a massive effect on my early days of motherhood. And when I look back now, I, I can see clearly how that definitely impacted my confidence. And also, in a way, it set me up, I, I kind of, started my motherhood experience feeling very vulnerable and lost and the the ripple effect of that was huge going forward into the early days of motherhood when my second child was born in 2015 I had been for counseling um, it was a very different birth experience and then after she was born in September of 2015 I still had this feeling of being lost or just being so I felt like I'd been turned upside down and I was trying to navigate my world and my life a life that no longer felt like mine or it just didn't fit the way it used to fit. And I couldn't understand why, because all that I had read about motherhood, all that I had prepared myself for motherhood, I hadn't really came across much information around the loss of identity or the sense of grief that we can feel for the life that we had had. All that information, there is vast amounts of that out there, but it's not to hand. It's not in the books that you buy. And so the more that I explored my own feelings and the more that I read online and really went digging for other people who spoke like I spoke about motherhood, that's when I started to realize that there was this whole other world of motherhood out there that really wasn't being spoken about that publicly, which then in turn led me to, at the time I remember thinking, did I want to go into counseling or did I want to go into becoming a coach? And at the time, coaching really felt like a great fit for me. So I then studied for my diploma in coaching, I knew specifically going into it that 
I was going into it to get the qualifications so that I could work with mothers. It was very tunnel visioned. And I knew from the beginning that this is who I would work with. So then when I qualified as a coach, I started to work with mothers one to one. But I felt that actually a group environment, as you know, Elish, like when you get a group of women in a safe space, a container where people feel they are able to speak openly, like it, it truly is an incredible place to be. And so I began to then run group programs for mothers as well. Okay, I would like, I want to know why do you think that all of that stuff around mother identity and changing, like why it wasn't easily available? Like why you said you had to go digging for it, mm. you know, like why do you think that stuff isn't, spoken about or isn't publicly spoken about great question I have many opinions on this and so let, let's say it's 2022 now my daughter my son was born in 2013 so he's going to be nine this year so I probably for about eight and a half years I have been living that question in terms of the way that my brain operates like I like to seek out information I like to read and I like to inform myself around certain subjects that matter to me. And so after Fionn was born and then Molly was born, I devoured information that I could get my hands on. And the more and more that I read, the more language became available to me. And so to answer your question, the language that I would use now in terms of why that information isn't so widely discussed and so widely or freely available, is because I think the, the conversation that we are having is very challenging and it confronts the existing paradigm, for want of a better word, the existing structures that are in place for the version of motherhood that we have been led to believe is the only way to mother in terms of the type of mother that exists, the good mother, the mother who will self-sacrifice, who will completely dedicate and devote her whole life and her whole being to in service to her family. And that version of the mother is the one that I without realizing it, had really con been conditioned into believing that I had to be. Mm -hmm. And yet when my children were born, I knew that this isn't going to work for me. And yet the, the contradiction between what I believed to be true and then what I was actually experiencing was so painful and I was stuck in that middle. And this is what I didn't understand at the time. Part of me knew deeply and intuitively that there was something wrong with the model of motherhood that I was trying to operate in. But I didn't know what it was because I didn't know that actually it is common for mothers to have an identity crisis. And actually the reason that we believe that we have to sacrifice ourselves is because on many levels, society has encouraged us to believe that, but not question it. And I think when we start having these questions, what it does is it encourages the questioning of that. And that is where we start to get some, we touch upon really deeply held beliefs. Um, even in my own relationship with my husband, you know, cultural beliefs from Scotland, from Ireland around the role of the mother. Irish mammies are famous for, you know, people joke about the Irish mammies and how much they, they look after their children. And, and the joke, although can be quite funny at times, when you dig a little bit deeper into it, you realize we're actually laughing about women sacrificing themselves for their children without ever really asking those women, would you like another way? Or would you like to experience your motherhood in another way that you don't feel like you have to do that? It doesn't mean you don't love your children, but there are other ways in which we can mother without completely sacrificing ourselves. Yeah. 
Yeah, like I suppose what I'm hearing is that it's like definitely it touches a nerve because it, it's such a that the Irish mammy or that kind of like you know the mother that just devotes herself like is is it's almost revered yes but I don't know if revered is the right name but like yeah I it is I actually used that word recently she is that version of mother is revered because she is held up to be saintly and this is where we start entering into a territory of we realize how important the language used because we talk about you know um isn't she great because she's a great woman Yes. She's great. So hardworking, gave up everything. She sacrificed herself for her husband's career. And so revered is right. I believe it's a great word choice because it, it, it almost gives you an image of we hold up this saintly version of a mother and we, we she is forced onto a pedestal. And only she's made to stay on the pedestal if she lives up to all those expectations but if she comes if she chooses to force her way down off the pedestal and say hold on a minute um just because I've had children it doesn't mean that I now must sacrifice myself how can I teach my children how I would like for them to live so I, I think it's um the word revered is crucial actually and it it almost has, and I think it's tied up in so many different structures in terms of often there is a religious element to it as well. A lot of people, depending on the culture as well, this idea of selflessness and self-sacrifice are, are traits to be proud of, that we should, you know, we should feel proud of ourselves for doing that, of being in such great service to our family. And then we also have the structure of society that you, I know that you love to discuss as well. Like when we operate in that, the patriarchal structures, then we start to see how all these ways of being are reinforced through our careers because you know where's the the part-time work where's the the flexi time for mothers in order for them to be able to still work if they should so wish to do so outside the home and also be at home with their children yeah there's two things that came to me there when you said that you know like I think one of the reasons why it's difficult as well to feel like you're saying something against women who have really devoted their lives you, it, there's an element of betrayal like you almost feel like you're betraying them like because mm -hmm. they have they sacrificed so much for their families in the past that if you were to say oh well, that's not really what I want to do you almost feel like you're betraying their sacrifices or you're not like acknowledging it or valuing it enough you know mm. um so i think it's 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 meshed in with all of these really difficult emotions like that make it difficult to talk about you know um so that was one thing that occurred to me there and then the other thing that when you said there about yeah the social construction like it's it's huge like and i think that i never knew that like i stepped into motherhood as well not realizing that there was a social construction it was already I was stepping into a type of motherhood I didn't even realize existed because the way society had said you know it existed but um yeah and I really liked the way like that you would like there's just so much to this isn't there Jacqueline it's yeah. like like I wonder because I do have two another question is like how has this work impacted you personally Mm. like in the way that you mother in the way that I mother I think 
it has impacted me tremendously and my children and the relationship actually um because in the beginning of in the early days of my motherhood when i knew with absolute certainty that my lived reality my lived experience of motherhood wasn't what i thought it would be and so thankfully i was in a position um in my relationship with my husband who perhaps at times was concerned for me in terms of what he was seeing me going through this huge, huge identity shift. And he had not been able to do anything about it other than try and hold that space. And so I was very lucky in the sense that I was able to speak to him about how I was feeling and really to explore the intensity of what I was feeling as well without being dismissed or brushed off. And so I think that contributed hugely to me being able to really own what I was feeling and not be frightened of it and to trust that actually, if I'm feeling this, there's no way <laughs> that I am that unique, that I am the only woman who's ever felt this way. And so that then from the early days, it, it, it gave me a sense of security where I felt safe enough to go and read and contact people online who were speaking this language. And that's when I realized that, and you know, there, there's actually fields of study that are dedicated to this subject. We, I didn't know that, like what you're talking about. I just assumed I'd have my babies and, you know, I would, live this version of motherhood that I see and have read about and witnessed in my own upbringing, my own mother and my granny before her. I just assumed that it would be like that. I didn't understand the nuances and the different layers that would happen to me as a woman um, because I just hadn't been exposed to that type of information. And so when I became exposed to it, I knew early on that I had an opportunity to set a standard for my own children as well in terms of what they would witness their mother doing. And from the early days, I spoke about me time, but more so from a sense of I wanted them to know that they too were entitled to a space of their own. They didn't need to always have me or their dad there, that if they wanted to, then I would encourage the feeling in them where they were like, I want to be alone. And so the language that I used around my children, it's been there since the early days when I would speak about it's okay to want time for yourself. And I also taught them that there were times and it's okay for me to want time for myself. And my husband and I had those conversations where, you know, for him playing football, he loves it. And it was his, after he would come home from work or he would go straight to football. And that was his thing. And I respected that. And in turn, he respected that I too needed that time out the house for whatever it may be. So I think the impact that motherhood had on my family and the conversations that I had around on it have been huge. It has helped us have very honest and at times challenging conversations with my husband about expectations and what we each perceive the other that what we each perceive we are responsible for and the burden of that responsibility. For example, my husband would have taken on the full financial responsibility for our family in the early days. And that's a huge burden. And I didn't take any responsibility for contributing to the conversation around our finances. And he in turn then allowed me to take full responsibility for the home and the management of the home. And unbeknownst to us, each of us is in our own little world feeling, well, you know, this is your job too. This is your responsibility too. So we had to we had to have a conversation around expectations around, but it's our finances and it's our home. So we each have to be involved in all of these separate areas or at least understand that we're delegating that responsibility and are we okay with that? 
So it's been huge. And my children now are eight and a half and six and a half. And to them, it's a way of life that their mum will do things and for herself. It's just, it's just standard now. But I, I've worked very hard from day one to, to support myself in that as well with the support of my husband. And so, like, I did that too, you know. I did, you think, when you talk about that, I think talking about basic conversations around expectations and responsibilities within um, the, the running of your home and your family and your finances, like, you would think that we, when you talk about there, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense to have a conversation about it. So everyone's on the same page and it's very much a partnership, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. but I didn't do it either. I just got yeah. it into this role of, um, yeah, you know, I'm going to do the majority of the mothering and the majority of the domestic tasks. Uh, and my husband is going to do the majority of the provider roles and um but we never had a conversation about it it just we just did it like on autopilot because mm -hmm. it was all we'd known and all we'd seen you know yeah same here and those conversations I mean and I don't in any way mean to make that sound like it was easy because those conversations don't come easy to me I didn't grow up in that environment where we would you know be having that like let's all sit down and put everything on the table and discuss it took time for us to get to that point of understanding that actually that was the issue um, because that that very real issue was being hidden and masked by resentments or disappointments and loneliness. And in the midst of all that, you have me who, you know, I have traveled extensively. I worked overseas. I was very independent. And now in a time and space of my life that I was so, so grateful for. And at the same time, still felt there's something there's a piece of this that I'm not getting I feel like is missing and I know it's missing but I'm being told it's not missing and yet I know it's missing so I have to try and and it's at that point where you have to figure out or really trust yourself because there is fear in the unknown and I was in the unknown and I didn't know um, the extent of changes and transformations that can happen to a woman I'm not a father but in, in, to me personally as a result of motherhood and what you were touching on there about that you know the generations before us who sacrificed and that that idea of perhaps not valuing what they went through I read a wonderful book called The Mask of Motherhood by a woman called Susan Moshart and she touches on this specifically to say that you know particularly the generations that have gone before us, the women who fought for the rights to education, to divorce, to a career, all of those. And with that fighting and the advancing of all the things that we as women have access to, with that comes a sense of guilt because in many ways it was so hard fought for. And then we were told, well, you can have it all. And because you can have it all, you should want it all. But there is a burden that comes with having it all and wanting it all and believing that you have to be able to do it all. And she writes about it really so well in terms of recognizing the fact that this generation of mothers now, also we have come so far in many ways, but we haven't, we're still dealing with things like guilt around sending children to childcare. We're still dealing with things like guilt around choosing not to breastfeed. We're still dealing with guilt around wanting time for herself because that somehow suggests that we're ungrateful or that just because we can um, have all these things, it doesn't necessarily mean that we do. 
want all those things and if you don't want it what does that say about you as a mother yeah or as a woman yes exactly and that ties so nicely into then the societal standard of a good woman a good mother a good girl a good wife all of those things yeah and I think it was very interesting when like in Sophie's course when I did that that she said like the feminists who did an amazing amazing work like that you've highlighted there like you know in in equality rights around property especially in Ireland like in the 50s women still couldn't own land you know like um and then reproductive rights divorce like work like and you know I know we still have a long way to go but like there's been great progress for Mm -hmm. women but she would say mothers were left behind yes which is a bold statement, right? But when she get, I get it, right? Because yeah. I would have friends who have said to me, God, the feminists didn't do us any favors, right? <laughs> what they mean by that though is we want a mother too. Yes. Like, and there's this constant career care conundrum that exists for, you know, because we feel we, all these women have fought for all of this uh, and we, we should want it and we and we should strive for it and we do that and then we become mothers and all of a sudden you're like oh I want to be a mother like or maybe not depending on where you are in your life but like I would say yeah like motherhood was kind of or being a mother was kind of forgotten in in some of the progress we made for equality um and that I would say is the next step Yes. And, there, you know, there's actually there's so many thinkers and writers out there. One of whom is a woman called Andrea O'Reilly, and she talks about matricentric feminism. And this is where it's the positioning of the mother, um, because the system is not designed to support mothers who want to still work and also have the option of perhaps being at home for children coming home from school too. So there, there's, you know, the, the system has been created and established that if you want to work and you, we have these women who have gone before us, you know, we stand on their shoulders of being able to access that. But if we want to access that, then it's on the t- very much a very male, masculine, dominant terms where you have to be in the office from eight and home at six. And that is not conducive to a woman who might want to also be at home. But then also the ideology around, well, if that mother, if the woman becomes a mother and she has children, but she still wants to work from eight until six, then it's the backlash against that woman in terms of, well, why did you have children? So you, this, this horrific catch-22 situation, we are judged if we want to go back to work, and then we judge ourselves harshly if we stay at home and can't go back to work. And the, 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 I think there's definitely progress being made. I think particularly in the UK, there's um, a woman who's advocated hugely for flexi time for mothers and being the recognition of the role that women have in the workforce as well as at home. Yeah, I think it would add just so much depth and productivity and I think it would actually elevate the performance if 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 there was more like like that matricentric feminism like where mothers were kind of facilitated more mm-hmm. to do both you know like and yeah like I think that's the next horizon like that's the next big 
thing you know like can we do that you know can we actually do it you know without the judgment and without you know like that there is no right or wrong it's, it's seriously what's working for an individual's family mm-hmm. and life and um and Jackie I really want you to explain what I heard you talk about before around that spectrum you know of of when you become a mother you know mm. Um, again, that uh, I credit that to, I'm, I'm sure it was Susan Moshart um, who identified this idea of a spectrum of motherhood. And, you know, like everything in the world, you will always have the outliers. You have a percentage of women who truly regret becoming a mother. They've had their children and they, if they could go back and change it, they would. It is not what they thought it would be. And they, they regret it and at the other scale side of the the other extreme we have women who you know that percentage of mothers that are truly in loving every moment of it and they are it is everything they thought it would be and more and it, it, it completes them fulfills them on every level um and both of those extremes the polarities of those exist but for the majority of us we are the women who make up this middle and depending on the day the hour even the minute you may gravitate towards one side more than the other. And I, I think to understand that, that for the majority of us, we are and we can and it's okay to acknowledge that there are moments in my motherhood where it is pure joy, absolute bliss. And on the same hand, there are moments of absolute darkness and despair and I can't do this. This is you know, it's exhausting. I'm so overwhelmed. And I think it's the understanding that all of it exists in this spectrum. And to deny one is to only see half of what is actually there. And I think this is one of the biggest challenges that I found going into motherhood is that it's the upholding of the fantasy side of it. It's the reinforcing of the, you know, only the the light side of it, the nice side of it, the bit that we imagine, like before you go on your maternity leave, that you think I'm going to be baking, I'm going to see my friends, I'm going to have my lovely little baby, I'm going to be out in my love, walking my nice buggy. Yeah, all of that. But let's also open up the conversation so that we can take away the secrecy around the dark days, the, the normality of the despair and the grief and the anger and the rage. If we can normalize all of it, then we can bring it out of this secretive, shameful part that we all have inside of us, but we're not talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think to normalize it means to talk about it and then for other people to listen. And I think, you know, listen, not, and not, you know, the way the tendency is to jump in with the, Oh, but at least this is working mm. or at least you you know you know there's a bit of that so i think mm. if if we could hold space for each other to talk about the dark side of it yes that's probably the first way to normalize it and i suppose Absolutely. if we're in coaching groups like that's 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 probably a space where that happens it really is Ilish. um one of the women my most recent round of brave the 12-week program that finished there in her feedback she was saying you know it really is the first time i've ever experienced being in an environment where i'm listening and i actually don't have to try and reassure somebody because it's not my job like my job is to listen and to reflect back at these women and validate you know their story and just hear them that's the only thing i have to do 
in certain parts of the group where it's it, you don't have to interrupt you don't have to step in and now tell your story you know yeah there are times when it, we have to share and listening to other people speak allows us and gives us permission to perhaps speak about things that we may never have spoken about before but to be in an environment where you know that the people are going to listen to you and not try and make you think of well, what about this what about that but just listen just just listen to me hear what I have to say and allow me to say it and then allow me to you know process that and move on with it rather than be told that this and that and the next thing I think it's a it's a it's an incredible experience to be listened to truly listened to yeah I like I just want to acknowledge you for being the source of it for these women and when I hear you talk about it, I'm like I wish that had been around 12 years ago mm, I know and you know even listening to his talk now like we're, we're using words like you know the care to career conundrum and matricentric matricentric feminism referencing Dr Sophie Brock and all these wonderful things but the thing is Elish, there are women who were who are where we were 12 years ago eight years ago and they're going to stumble upon this conversation and they're going to think why is it not so freely talked about because we are adding our voices to the women that we found that introduced us to this whole world of other women where we're having these conversations, but we still are somehow not mainstream. And I think that's the, that's the, the motivation to take part in these conversations, the incredible podcast that you're running is that the motivation is that somebody is going to stumble upon this by accident because they're sitting at home and they're Googling and they're, they're afraid to speak about it. And then they're going to come across a conversation like this and be like, there are people out there like me. And I think that is incredible because it took that, it took me going online to try and find the people who spoke about motherhood in a way that really made sense to me. Mm -hmm. Okay, Jackie, I made a promise that I wasn't going to take more than 30 minutes of your time. So thank you for being here. And I'm just looking forward to, I'm going to keep following you in our brave hearts. And I just love what you're doing. And I can't imagine the ripple effect it's going to have, you know. Yeah. Thanks, Elish. It's an absolute pleasure as always. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening. If you found this conversation informative, please share. Everything happens in conversation. If you want to learn more about our classes and education at The Bump Room, head over to our website, thebumproom.ie.